Well, I'm glad you decided to give us another chance as we go through uh, discovering meaning in life. Uh, again, the format, the way God approaches this is not artificial like many of the seminars today would be uh, that are trying to encourage people to have a meaningful life. There's certainly nothing wrong with those. But God just knows that this world is not like sitting in an auditorium or attending a conference. This is, this is not an easy world to live at at times. But life can be meaningful. When you know God and you walk with Him, uh, life is just wonderful. And He'll get to that as we go through this in chapter 2 today, the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2, Solomon's search for meaning. Uh, let me have prayer and then we'll get right into our study. Our Heavenly Father, again, we know that your thoughts are not our thoughts. Your ways are not our ways, as Isaiah says. As the heavens are high above the earth, so are your thoughts higher than ours. And yet, Father, you think on us. You love us. You've given us the scripture in a perfect way. And as we look at Solomon's book today, again for the second time, we ask that you would help us to enter into the meeting and also to discover those things that you want us to see so that we can have the most meaningful, most wonderful life possible. So Father, thank you that in spite of the struggles, there is a God who makes all the difference in the world. Father, thank you for that. Just pray that you would be with us now as we study, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have Solomon's search for meaning, uh, the project. He has a project that he tells us about in chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. And what he's going to be doing, he's, he's telling us that he's looking into life. He wants to examine it in every detail, every aspect of life. He wants to know how it works. And that way, when he understands how life works, then he will be able to have meaning and purpose because he will have had now the answers and he will understand things. Notice in chapter 1, verse 12, where it says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under the heaven. I'm going to take a look at everything. Notice verse 16. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have come before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom. So I have all this wisdom that God's given me. I've had more than anyone else, and I'm going to take a good look at life. I'm going to understand it. Then I will be able to have meaning because I'll have the answers. And that's what he's talking about. The key word here is wisdom. Uh, we all want to be wise. Uh, when you are wise, when you have wisdom, it means you have the answers. You understand things. Uh, you don't have those moments where you're frustrated because you don't know what to do or what's coming next. If you have wisdom, you know how to answer questions when others around you don't. 
And so this concept of wisdom, he wants to understand life. He wants to understand how it works. And he's really in a position to make this investigation. Uh, when we talk about Solomon, we've heard that he's the wisest man that ever lived. And I'd like for you, please, to take your Bible and turn back to 1 Kings. Just flip back there a little bit. 1 Kings chapter 3, because I think it, it, it would be good just to read this. If you're not familiar, it'll help you with the book and this idea of wisdom. When Solomon was a young man and he had just become king, he was taking his leaders to a place to have a spiritual retreat. And in chapter 3 of 1 Kings, verse 5, the place is called Gibeon. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask for what I can give you. And Solomon said, You have shown unto your servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have kept for him this great kindness that you have given him a son to set on the throne as it is this day. He's referring to himself. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of David, my father, and I am but a little child. And he means it. He's humble. I know not how to go out or to come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people that you have chosen a great people that can't be numbered because of the multitude. Here's his request. <clears throat> Give your, therefore, your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between what's good, what's bad. Because who is able to judge your people who is so great? And the speech pleased God that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him in verse 11, Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life, neither have you asked riches for yourself, <clears throat> nor of the life of your enemies, but have asked for understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to your words. I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there was none like before you, neither after will anyone be like you. And I've also given you that which you have not asked for, riches and honors, so that there will not be any among the kings like unto you in all of your days. And now drop down to verse 16. <clears throat> Solomon is now king, the retreat is over, and there's an event that takes place. There came unto him two women that were harlots. They came to the king and stood before him, and one of the women said, O my Lord, I and this woman dwell in one house, and I was delivered of a child with her in the house. And it came to pass the third day after that that I, was deli that I delivered, that this woman also delivered, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house except the two of us that were in the house. And this woman's child died at night because she laid on it. She arose at night and took my son from beside me while I slept and laid it in her bed, and laid her dead child in mine. When I rose in the morning to give suck, behold, I realized it was dead. But when I looked in the morning, behold, it was not my son which I gave birth. 
the other woman said, no, the living is my son and the dead is her son. And this said, no, but the dead is your son, the living is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. And so now these two women are arguing who, this is my baby. No, this is my baby. Here's where the king comes in, in this wisdom, thinking right off the top. Then said the king, the one says, this is my son that lives, and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead, and my son is living. And the king said, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, cut the living child in two, and give half to this one and half to the other. Can you imagine the gasp that took place when he said that? How would you like to have been the soldier holding the sword? I can't do that. And the king said, bring me a sword. The king did, said, divide it. Verse 26, then spoke the woman whose child it was, said unto the king, because her heart broke upon her son, she says, oh, my king, my king, give her the living child. Don't hurt it. The other said, let it neither be mine or her. Divide it. The king answered and said, give her the living child and don't hurt it. She is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged. And they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice in judgment. My point, Solomon has been given this incredible wisdom by God to see things. His goal now is to look at every area of life to determine how it works. And when he gets, kind of like gets the manual and he understands it, then he'll, he'll be okay. Everything will, everything will work. And so that's what we see here in this particular passage. And it, this is just an amazing thing uh, because as he begins, he's telling us at the very beginning that he went through all the projects. Now he's gonna tell us what those projects were, those observations as he looked at things. But he tells us right up front now in these verses, after he got done with all of those projects, it was meaningless. Nothing works. There are no answers. You can't depend upon anything. And he is frustrated. It's awful. Notice what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. Behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Watch this. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. He says there are things in this world that are broken that can't be fixed. And he's right. There are things that have been broken that will never be fixed. We know that. A broken life, a broken marriage, uh, a broken career, uh, a broken health. Uh, there are things in this world that simply, uh, they're broke. Things happen, things break, and you can't fix them. There are wrongs that are not made right, and there are some things that will never be resolved that should be. In the last part of that verse, where it says, and that which is lacking cannot be numbered, it has to do with space, space in between two things, and you can't fill up the space. There are some things that should have been resolved a long time ago in the lives of people, haven't and never will be. 
that's the kind of stuff that happens in this world. And that's what makes this heart, this world hard to live in. Solomon knows that. And as he's looking, making these observations, he sees all these things that in his mind don't exist. Now, the reason it doesn't exist, or the reason, the reason he can't see how they fit together is because he is looking at life as if there is no God. You can't do that. You can't build a meaningful life without God. We were made by God. He is our creator, he is our maker, and he made us for himself. He never made us to be so independent that we could go off on our own and completely forget about him. Life is not gonna work that way. We've learned that, we know that. That's why we've asked the Lord to be our savior. But Solomon is looking at life as if there is no God, and when it's left up just to men, you have no one but yourself, you're not gonna get answers. You're gonna constantly be frustrated, and you're not gonna know what to do What to do when life gets broken, you can't fix it, or, or things that need to be resolved, but they're not gonna, you just, you're just frustrated. You can't deal with those things. And I also noticed that as we read down through here, there is this sense of confidence that he is expressing. Did you know that? Verse 13, I gave my heart uh, by wisdom to search these things. Verse 14, I have seen all the works. Verse 16, I communed with mine own heart. Behold, I am come to great estate, and I have more wisdom than all they before me. Verse 17, I give my heart to know this, and on and on and on, and into next chapter we'll see in a minute. There is this, I, this. And I couldn't help but think of people who I've heard say, well, I can do this. No, they can't. I can do this, this kind of the popular idea today, you can do anything if you just try it hard enough or you just believe that I can do this. I can make my life successful. I can be a successful person at this job. I can make my home happy. I can be a successful person uh, and make my marriage work. I can become successful, even advanced. I can do, there are a lot of people who are really telling themselves that they can get ahead and they can be successful on their own. That's just the way people ask. But he's saying there that there is something fundamentally wrong with life when there are things that can't be fixed. Well, that's because he has no God that he can turn to when things don't make sense. He says there's something fundamentally wrong when, when things that should be done are not done. How can you have meaning in a world when life is like that? Well, when you're left only to yourself, and you, you don't have God to not only care for us, give us counsel and direction, help us to get, the, you're just stuck. And that's what we see in this particular place. But what he's doing, it, he understands where men are living and how they're struggling. And his goal is to show them the meaninglessness of a life without God. And he will build that case as he goes through here. But I've got, to, I've got to just make it very clear. God wants you to have a meaningful life. He wants you to have a life of purpose, of value. He wants you to have contentment. And no matter what this world does, he wants you to know that you can depend upon him. Just stay put. He is not going to fail you. He will care for you. He will get you through that. He will get you to good days. What does the psalm say? Weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. 
God knows how to get his people through difficult things. And then we understand a lot more as we look back. God knows how to take care of his people. We see Solomon, this king, being greatly frustrated because he's trying to build his life without God. Okay, now hang with me because the question is, well, what do you do then to build a meaningful life? We'll see that before we close today. But for the rest of our time, there are two thoughts. We want to see what Solomon did, where he turned to find meaning, the things that he tried to do to find meaning and purpose in his life. And then we'll look at what God says, what we are supposed to do, where we can find real meaning in life. So let me go to this, the next slide here, where in chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, he now tells us, this is where I turn to find meaning. And he goes to pleasure, accomplishments. He talks about recognition, people wanting to be somebody. And 30 centuries after this was written, 30 centuries, these are still the three areas that cause people to think that they can find meaning on their own. This is, these are the three areas that they go to. Notice the first one, chapter 2, verse 1, I said in my heart, go to now, I will prove you with joy. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. Notice the word pleasure. Verse 3, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine to drink, yet equating my heart with wisdom to lay hold on this till I might see what was the good for men under heaven that they should do all the days of their life. And again, he's talking about pleasure. He even goes as far as to join those who are drinking to enter in to discover why they're laughing, uh, laughing being uh, lighthearted and free. It looks like they're having a great time, no problems in the world. He's not getting drunk, but he's trying to examine what's happening here. And as he starts, he says in this chapter, he's not going to hold back anything that might make him feel happy. He wants to understand happiness, this pleasure. Uh, go now, I will prove you with joy, therefore enjoy pleasure. He wants to be happy. So he, he's out in this search for the good life, the laughter, the pleasure. He wants to get into it, and he's going to experience it, he's going to analyze it, and he's going to get some answers. The good life. I have noticed uh, throughout the years, and I've got a lot behind me, whether working in the factory, working in the public sector, uh, even now working in a secular uh, health campus, um, that Friday is the best day of the week. It's the greatest day of the week because for most people at the end of Friday, they already have planned what they're going to do for the weekend. And it's not work, they're gonna have fun. They're going to enter the good life. They're going to have a great time. And they've got plans. They've got friends. They've got all kinds of things, trips, uh, you name it, whether they have people over or they go different places. But they've got it all worked out, and they have a great time. And then it comes back to Monday to work. They're not so happy. <laughs> In fact, sometimes they can be downright grumpy a little bit. But on Friday, it's a good time because they're, they're just looking forward to it. And in, in verse 2, notice he says, I said of laughter, it is mad. This laughter has to do with 
people that when they laugh, you've been in a place where somebody starts to laugh and they can't stop laughing. And then it spreads to somebody else and they can't stop laughing and it's just hilarious, you know over sometimes the most craziest things, but people just get into laughter and they lose it. And he says he's, he wanted to analyze that too. And he got in there and he says, it's mad. Do you see that in verse two? I said of laughter, it is mad. And the word in the Hebrew refers to loss of judgment. Because he says in that moment, it's like they've lost everything. They just, Forget everything. They have no, just their feet aren't planted on the ground. They're just lost in this moment of uh, hilarity. And as he looks at it, notice what he says. It is mad and even of joy, but what does it do? The use of words, what he's saying is that that laughter, yeah, it's it lighthearted and people forget their problems and they're above their problems for a while. But he said, the problem is, it's, it's a very brief escape from reality. Trying to run away from things, trying to forget things. But after that moment of pleasure is gone, then everything that's real comes back. And so what value was the pleasure? It doesn't do anything. And as he looks in this particular passage, he realizes that people use those moments of pleasure in an attempt to, to escape, find a little relief from some of the things. And he says a lot about uh, pleasure in this particular uh, passage, and it's very obvious to you and me, this idea, I gotta be happy. I need to be happy. I deserve to be happy. That's taken a hold of our people everywhere. We've grown up in a culture where everyone gets a trophy, where everyone is coddled. Everyone is, we are now uh, to the place where our feelings are more important than anything else. And you gotta feel good. I get that. But not to the place of losing your judgment or learning how to think. And what he's saying here in this particular place in this passage is that when he turned to pleasure, he was convinced that if he could get those moments of pleasure, those feelings, those experiences, he would have a meaningful life. He would feel complete, but those moments didn't last. And that's why he says it's all useless. It doesn't do anything. Have you ever noticed just how the world has created so many things that they tell us we need to have a complete life. You need this to have pleasure in your life. Car, boat, a trip, a new house. Uh, Sarah watches some of these flip programs of her houses and where people are dissatisfied with their house. And so they're gonna have it renovated and uh, some of the contractors come in and, and they say, well, I think we need to take out all the kitchen. And she says, what? I'd love to have that kitchen. Don't touch the kitchen. You know? And you know how this works, these moments that don't last. Uh, you, you, you have a friend who has a boat. He gets a boat. He's been looking forward to getting a boat. He gets it. He is on top of the world. Nothing wrong with boats. Nothing wrong with boats. But for many guys, 
by the end of the summer, he's already thinking about the next boat he's going to get. Why? Because there's not enough pleasure in that boat. It's the same thing for trips. It's the same thing for some people think, well, if I get a different partner, I'll have more pleasure in my life. If I, if I get a different job, I'll have more pleasure in my life. And these moments of pleasure don't last. And it leaves people disillusioned and they have to go on to something else and only to discover that it just doesn't work. And he's saying in this particular project that he wants to find pleasure. He wants to see how it works, <clears throat> but, it, but it just doesn't. It doesn't. Enjoying the things in life is one thing. I'm going to make this clear. Enjoying life is one thing, but believing that a moment of pleasure can give you meaning in life is something entirely different. We cannot find meaning or have purpose in our life if we chase this dream, this fog that's called pleasure because it's gone very quickly. Let's go on to the next thing. Notice with me, there's something else that that he talks about in verses 4 through 10. I want to read them because he wanted to gain a sense of meaning and purpose through accomplishment. And in chapter 2, verse 4, it said, I made me great works. I builded houses. I planted vineyards. I made gardens and orchards. I planted trees of them of all kinds of fruit. I made pools of water. Uh, to water the wood that uh, was bringing forth the trees. I got servants and maidens. I had servants born in my house. Also, I had great possessions of great and small cattle above all that were in Jerusalem before me. I gathered also silver and gold and peculiar special treasures of kings and provinces. I got men singers and women singers and the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments, all of this. I was great and increased more than all they that were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. My heart rejoiced in all my labor. This was the portion of all my labor. He said, I did it all. I did it all. I had it all. I accomplished more than anyone else anyone else has ever accomplished. Now, accomplishment is great, and we need to have a sense of purpose, and we need to have goals in life. Uh, when kids graduate from school and they go to college, it is a great thing for them to get through that and get a degree, so it's just a degree or a bachelor's degree or going, and there's a real sense of accomplishment, and that's good, it should be that way. Uh, people will think, well, I want to have the right kind of a home. I want to have the right partner. I want to, want to be able to build a life. I want to have a career in this area. It's okay to have these goals. It, it really is. We need to. But if we look at accomplishments as what it takes to give us meaning in life, then we're going to be very disillusioned because accomplishments can't do that. Only God can. And again, there's, I'm trying to be very, very uh, careful here. Uh, there's nothing wrong. We have to make goals. We set goals and we have objectives. We, we have to, to get through this world. But to look at our accomplishments, things that we do 
to find meaning in life. That's, that's not where we're gonna find it. It's not something that we can create. And yet I hear people say, and you've heard them say too, if I could just make the right kind of investment, if I can get a little ahead in finances, man, I'll have it made and I'll feel great. If, if I can get a degree, if I can move ahead just a little bit in my trade, in my skill, I can be better than the people that are around me in my shop and I can get advanced, then I will have made it and life will become good. Uh, if I had my own business, things would be great. Uh, then my life would be complete. Then my life would be satisfied. But again, there are so many things in life that appear good, they're beautiful, they're attractive, they call us, and when we think we have them, they're vapor. You cannot build a meaningful life without God, and yet people look to pleasure to find meaning in their life. People look to their accomplishments to find meaning and fulfillment for their life, and they'll just never find them there. And again, the question is, well, what is it that we should be doing? What are the accomplishments that we should be reaching for to find where meaning can be found, God's going to tell us in just a minute. But there's one other area in verses 12 through 17 in chapter 2, this thinking about wisdom again. I want to be somebody. If I could just be somebody, if I could get in the top of the world, if I could have this recognition, then it would be okay. In verse 12, I turn myself to behold wisdom, chapter 2, verse 12, and foolishness, for what can the man do that comes after the king, uh, even that which has been done already? Then I saw wisdom excels folly as far as light, excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. He says there's a real benefit of being wise. There's real benefit of having some answers because you know how to go through life. There are some people that know exactly what they're doing in life. But there are some, like the fool, they walk in darkness. They don't have a clue what they're doing. They just get themselves farther and farther behind, farther and farther in trouble. And just, they're just not living life the right way. So there is a difference in that. But this strain, this difficulty, notice in verse 15, Then I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, so it happens even to me. Why was I even more wise. Why, why did I worry about wisdom? Then I said in my heart, this is all vanity. Because instead of being somebody, he realized in the end when he dies, he's nobody. That's how he sees it. And he talks about dying and these things escaping him and the fool and the wise man in the end being the very same. And even the rich man or the wise man, they have no idea what's going to happen to their wisdom or the riches after them. And so instead of being somebody, he realizes that he's not going to be anything. And, and, and he's just, he's done. He's looked at three areas that he hoped to find meaning. Pleasure, accomplishments, recognition. And each one of them have let him down. Now think, Solomon is a man who can fund all of his dreams. Whatever he wanted to do, he could do it because he had the money to bankroll it. He had the system. He was the king to do it. Whatever he wanted, he did it all. And yet he's telling people it, it didn't work. Of course, the Jew, Jewish people are thinking, well, if Solomon couldn't pull this off, who are we to think? 
That's part of what he's trying to do. He understands where people are at in their life. And then notice in verse 22, for what has a man of all of his labor, of all the vexation of his heart that he's labored under the sun, what good has it done, he said, for all of his days are sorrows, his travail, grief, his heart taketh not rest in the night, it's all vanity. And here is the beginning of the turning point. I want you to see this. There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, that he should make his soul enjoy good even at work. This I saw that it was from the hand of God. Verse 26, for God gives to a man things that are good in his sight, wisdom and knowledge and joy. Now you have God interacting with life, making things good in life, caring for people, and also, but to the sinner he gives travail to gather and to heap up that he may give it to the person that is good before God. And what he's doing is he now brings God into this conversation and he's done it in a very wonderful way. This theme will be repeated in chapter three, four, five, and six. And here's what he's saying. If you want to have a meaningful life, you need to slow down. You need to slow down, enjoy the simple things you have, and to realize that God is with you. He is caring for you. He's watching over you as well as everybody else, even the wicked, those that are not right. God is involved with your life. And if you're always looking to get more or to have more or to be more and always looking down the road and you don't see what you have right in front of you now, you're going to miss it. Slow down. Enjoy things that you have. The word joy, enjoy. And realize these are God's gifts to you. And so this is a major turning point because he now refers to a God who is with people, caring for them, wanting to do them good. And I gotta show you this, we'll be closing with this, just about, turn back to Psalm 128. Please turn back there to Psalm 128. Because if you've never seen this, this will be great. This is something that I hope you'll look at uh, long after our lesson is done for tonight, but that you'll look at it. These are gifts from God. You have to see this. He's brought in this wonderful truth. God cares for you. God's real. He exists. He's working in our lives and with people who are around us. He can even get us, give us satisfaction at work. <laughs> That's something. But accept what you have in life. Slow down. Slow down and see what you have right now and begin to enjoy what God has been doing for you. Don't fail to see what God is doing for you. And this is a big step forward in finding meaning in life. Notice in Psalm 128, in the Hebrew Bible, Psalm 127 and 128 are put together. They're not separated. Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Children are in heritage of the Lord. It's vain for you to set up late and, and get up early because God will give his children rest. 
Uh, blessed is the man whose quiver is very family oriented in Psalm 127. This is too. Notice Psalm 128. Notice how it starts. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord and walks in his ways. Let me do some Hebrew for you here. Oh, the blessings of the man that will walk with God. Or, oh, the blessings that God will put on the man that walks with him. Oh, this is the way God blesses the man that walks with him. That's what this is about. Starts right out in the first verse in saying that God will bless the man who does this. And it looks at the home and he's kind of repeating what Solomon's saying here. Notice this, verse 2. Men, notice this. You will eat of the labor of your hands. Happy or shalom shalt thou be, and it will be well with you. When a man walks with God, first of all, he is very thrilled for the work that he can do. He's glad that he can work and, and, and care for his family with his hands. He's glad for that. He has a good life. Shalom, peace. He got peace around him and peace with those in his family. He has peace with God and his life is good. When a man walks with God, God will take care of him in his work and in his life. That's the first thing. Man needs to be thankful that whatever his job is, thank you, you've given me this job. Thank you that I can do it and I can support my family. Thank you that I can do it this way. Notice the second thing. Your wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thy house, and your children like olive plants round about your table. When God blesses a man who walks with God, usually there's a wife who becomes a mother in the picture, and now you have kids around the table. Now, that can be noisy. <laughs> that can be very messy at different times. But you need to see, man, you got to get this. Your greatest pleasures in life will begin with your family in your home around the table. Your greatest treasures in life, pleasures that will give lasting meaning, will be found with your family, in your home, even right around the table. That's where relationships are built. That's where love is expressed. That's where hurts are healed. That's where people become family. And if you have a home where you have children around the table, even if they're noisy, you need to thank God for that. And you need to see the potential of what you have there. Last week, I talked about our daughter having four little girls, and they were stair steps, one, two, three, four. And in those early years, both mom and dad had all they could do to keep their sanity to uh, uh, care for things and the growing needs of kids and the whiny noses and the runny noses and the whines and just the things that come with, with growing is so much that demanded of them. Now they're all teenagers. Two of them are now in college, just gone to college. And Sarah and I go down and we love being at their table just to listen to them as they talk with each other, at each other. They know each other so well. They have fun, they laugh at each other, with each other. They support one another. And it 
And I've told uh, our daughter a couple of times, they have a gold mine. And I've told our son-in-law the same thing too. All the hard work from those earlier years is now paying off. And as parents, they're just thrilled. Now challenges, well, they'll still have some going to college and growing up, but they realize that God has been good to them. They wouldn't give up their family, their family time, those relationships for anything. And it's just, guys, you have a job that God's given to you. If it's an honest job, he gave it to you, okay? And if he allows you to support your family, take that paycheck and every time say, God, thank you. Another week, another two weeks, thank you that we can do this. Care for the family, thank you. And when you get at home, start thinking about the blessings that you have around your life right now. A meaningful life will not be found out there somewhere. It'll be found in your home. It'll be found with your wife, with your kids. So if a question is asked, well, what are the things that I really need to pursue that has lasting value that will give me meaning and value and purpose? Well, start with your kids. What kind of relationship are you building with them? What kind of time are you spending with them? Uh, maybe start with your wife or your husband. What kind of relationship are you building? How, how have you grown to love that person more? Uh, how do you appreciate that person more? Uh, do you understand the person? Just focus on what you have now. Don't just be looking into the future and fail to see what God, who is with us, is doing right now. And he says here in this particular passage, in Psalm 128, that this is the way that God blesses people. This is how he takes care of them. These are the greatest treasures in life. And if you notice, it said, verse 4, again, behold, this is the way the man will be blessed who fears God. The Lord will bless you out of Zion. Uh, you will see good all the days of your life. Yes, you will see your children's children, grandma and grandpa, and peace, and peace. And God is telling us that we need to slow down so that we can begin to realize God is with me right now. The meaning that I want in life, the sense of purpose and value, I am going to find with God and I'm going to start, if I need to grow and develop in meaning and value and purpose, I need to start by looking at the people who are the closest to me around that table and I need to understand they are God's gifts to me. This is the way in, in Ecclesiastes 2, God will give this joy, he will give this good to men who are right with him. I need to stop right there because of this, and uh, uh, please, please, if you will, just take the time to think through some of these things. We'll get some questions out for some discussion this next week. Uh, our next topic as we move into chapter three is how can I find meaning in life when my world falls apart? And he will help us to know how we can find that meaning. But he goes back to the roughness that's in this world, but the God who is with us to care for us. When you know you belong to God and you walk with him, life will be wonderful. So enjoy walking with God, enjoy your work, enjoy your home, enjoy your kids, 
and just have a great week. We'll see you next week.